Well, as we said a few minutes ago, we've covered uh, a lot of ground over the last few weeks with this series on prayer. Uh, we've talked about our, our petitions and our intercessions and how those two uh, work together. As we mentioned last week, we went through some prayer practices and, and we talked about uh, flash prayers and breath prayers in particular. I wanted to begin this morning by showing you a text message I got from one of our, our members about the middle of the week. He, he texted me, he said, hey, uh, good morning, and then he just got right to it. He said, hey, that thing you're talking about Sunday, is it, is it flash praying when you are praying for people that you see in an airport? And I said, yes, sir, that is. And, and I wanted you to hear what, what he had to say about that. He said, it's, it's an awakening. I don't know if you can read that print from where you are. But he says, it's an awakening. He says, I'm seeing those people around me as people, not just objects in my way. I won't ask you for a show of hands of how many times you in your life would say, yeah, I'm guilty of viewing the people around me as objects in my way. It can happen, right? But to take that prayerful sort of spirit with us through the week, that was an encouragement to me, and, and, and I've heard from several of you this week over uh, some of the stories that you, you tell me about how you're putting all this into practice. That's been, for me personally, one of the best things about this series is getting to hear all of your prayer stories. And there are several of those prayer stories that are, are victorious. There are several times I've, I've, I've heard, as, as some of you have shared, even with tears of joy, about the times where, where God delivered and, and, and he came through and he provided just what you needed in just that moment. But there have been other times where, where you, some of you have shared with me your stories of, of disappointment and the times when, when you didn't get exactly what you were hoping for in prayer. And as, as I said in the intro, every person who, who takes prayer seriously, I think you reach a point where, where you deal with that. You deal with disappointment in prayer. When my mother was diagnosed with her cancer, uh, we had her on the prayer list of every church in my town. Every church where we knew somebody we, we were, you know, not debating theology with people at that point. We just said, if you're willing to pray for her, we'll take it. About the same time, uh, the stepfather of a good friend of mine received a very similar diagnosis. His cancer went into remission. My mother passed away six weeks later. And that was difficult for me because... Uh, because we were praying, and, 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 and we were praying, and, and I'm just being really honest with you, this, this friend of mine didn't even go to church anywhere, and, 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 and Jesus makes this statement, ask and you will receive, and we believe that. He says it, so, 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 so we take that at, at a faith level, but, but what happens when you are asking and you don't receive? That was difficult for me as as a young man then, and I have to confess, it's not much easier the older that I get. And as we deal with prayer, as we talk about prayer, if we're going to, to look at, at prayer as a church family, we have to acknowledge the, the reality that there are those times when, when we pray and we, we pour our hearts into something and, and we just don't get the answer back that we hoped for. 
And, and it would be a whole separate discussion to talk about the times where we don't get the answer we were looking for, but, but actually we get something far better. That would be a great sermon too. <laughs> we just don't have time for that one today. I'm talking about the times when, when we when we're disappointed in prayer. So how do you deal with that? How do we as, as, a, as a church, as a community of believers, how do we deal with it? We don't get what we hope for in prayer. Well, thankfully, this, the scriptures speak to this, and this morning we'll take some time and, and work through this. And, and I'd like to, to go from kind of the, the, the range of answers from the easiest to accept to uh, what I would consider to be the most difficult. So let's start with the, the easier answer to accept. Um, we'll begin this morning here in James chapter 4. You'd like to get your Bibles turned over there to James 4. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you as well. But one possibility, if our question is, why don't we get what we want in prayer? Why don't we always get what we ask for? Well, one possibility that James mentions here that I think is easier to accept is this. That there are times when we pray out of the wrong motives. <laughs> Let's be honest. There, there are times when that happens, and God's word speaks to that. Here's what James says in James chapter 4, 1 through 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And then he kind of pivots. He says, but when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. James was uh, a leader in the, in the early church. He was also the brother of Jesus. And, and in his teaching, you can leaf through there if you're, you haven't read it in a while, you'll see in, in his teaching and the things that he writes there, he talks a lot about selfishness. And so it's no surprise to see him apply that same idea to his teaching here on prayer. So he has this strong word of, of warning to some of these believers. He says, uh, basically, if, if you want something... Rather than fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ, why don't you pray about it? That's kind of the gist of what he says there uh, in James 4. But he also notes this, that there are those times when we don't get what we want in prayer. We don't get the answers we're hoping for because we're asking for something with the wrong sort of motive. And, and the teaching would, say, would go along these lines, you know, basically God's not going to give us those things if we're asking for them out of out of selfish motivation and that's kind of what James is getting at he says God doesn't give you this stuff these things that you're asking for he doesn't give you that because you'll spend it then on your own pleasure again code word selfishness um, when I was a kid I, I really wanted a new bike I had this old bike from the 60s and I hated it it was, I think, a hand-me-down from my sister, so that was part of the reason. Uh, it had one of those banana seats. Do they even make those anymore? The banana seat bikes, you know what I'm talking about? So it had this, this banana seat. It kind of sat real low, and it had those, those big U-shaped handlebars, okay? So, I, you know, you picture me kind of riding around my neighborhood with this bike, and every other kid in our neighborhood had one of those really nice new huffy 
dirt bikes. And they were shiny, and they could pop wheelies, and they could, you know, I don't know why they needed a dirt bike. We lived in a neighborhood, but they had the Huffy dirt bike. And so I wanted one of those so badly. So I did what what many uh, children of the church do in a situation like that. I decided this is a great opportunity for me to apply my young faith. So I began praying every day for a Huffy dirt bike, right? I would pray and pray. I would pray at night, Lord, please. If, if I have found favor in your eyes, would you please give me a Huffy dirt bike? And I'd come home from school, and I, like, I, with all the faith of a young child, I would go run to the garage door, and I would fling it open, only to find that ugly banana uh, seat bike of my sister's from the 60s sitting there. And over and over, like, I would do that. And, 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 I, and I tell you that, because, I mean, it's a little, little silly story, right? But so just apply it to what we read there in James, that God giving me what I want, was, was that a selfish request? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so, right? I, I had a, a perfectly good bike right there, and I was asking for a new one. The deeper question, though, is this. Is God under obligation to give us whatever we want if doing so simply feeds our selfish desires? So it's kind of fun to think about that in terms of a child asking for a bike. But what's the grown-up analog of that? And ask, is God under this obligation to give me something if it's only going to feed selfishness? If it's, instead of promoting the spiritual formation that the scriptures speak of, it, it produces me as a spiritually malformed person. Is God under any sort of obligation to give me that? Is there any promise in the scripture that says that God's on the hook to give me something that's bad for me? I think you know the answer. The answer to that is, of course not. It's kind of like the guy who, who prayed, Lord, give me patience right now. Right? God doesn't answer that, that prayer because I don't think you're really praying out of a motivation to have true patience. And so it's easy for us when we can find the times, when, when we're praying out of the wrong motivation. So again, this is kind of the easier one to deal with, but if we're dealing with disappointment in prayer, maybe that's a time for us to measure our motives according to what the scriptures say. But there's also this, the scriptures talk about, talk about these times that they're a little more difficult for us to, to get our heads wrapped around just because it, it, it deals with the spiritual world in a way that we can't simply see. But according to the scriptures, there are those times when our disappointment in prayer may have more to do with the, the forces of darkness agents of Satan thwarting those prayers rather than God just not choosing to answer them. The text we'll look at is in Daniel chapter 10, and it is, uh, it's, it's a, a lengthy passage, so we're going to read 14 verses here from Daniel 10, but it is a really important teaching on prayer, and especially if we're dealing with disappointment in prayer. It's important that we think, okay, I might need to look at my motives, but I want you to hear what God's word says as, as God pulls the curtain back on a world that is beyond our line of sight, but might very well be the source of some disappointment in our prayer lives. Here's Daniel 10, verses 1 through 14. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
A revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. This is no ordinary man. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them, look at this part, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Okay, let's kind of take a minute and walk through what we just read. It's kind of a strange text, but as we said, it's an important one on prayer. Daniel uh, set out to pray. He, is, he actually lived through the Babylonian captivity, so six, the 6th century B.C. Uh, Daniel lives through the Babylonian captivity. He also then lives into the, the Medo-Persian kingdom, all right? Two years prior to this vision, uh, the, the ruler of the Medo-Persian kingdom, Cyrus, allows the children of God, allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to begin their rebuilding project. But after a couple of years, they, they face resistance, and the, the building has stopped. And so Daniel is, is burdened by this. And in an act of, of solidarity with what's going on back in the motherland, he says, I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat, I'm not going not to drink, you know, the, the, the wine, the choice foods, I'm not going to use the lotions, you know, he basically says, I'm going to lit, stand in solidarity with the people of Israel, and so he enters into this period of fasting, and ancient Jewish readers would have understood that was also a period of prayer, even though that word's not used there, that's what was going on, Daniel would have been committing himself daily to this act, this, this rhythm of praying, okay, so he sets out to pray, for his brothers and sisters back in the promised land. He's in this period of mourning. So he does this for three weeks. At the end of this three-week period, he sees this vision of a man who is glorious in appearance. It turns out this individual 
is an angel. And this angel says something really interesting in verse 12 about Daniel's prayers. You can look back at it. He says, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God in prayer, he says, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Hang with me here, okay? This angel was dispatched from God the very moment Daniel started to pray. Three weeks prior, Daniel starts praying. He's praying for the people back home. He's praying for God's will to be done. Lord, you gave us these promises about the land, and you, you've delivered us back there, but now it sort of hit this, we, we, we've hit a wall, you know, the, the rebuilding of, of the walls of the city, rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the culture, that's all stopped, and so Daniel's praying. But from the very moment he starts to pray, God has sent this angel with a message for him. But it says that the angel is opposed by some shadowy figure. Here he refers to him as the prince of Persia. So the question is, who is that? Whoever it is, he is powerful enough to stand in the way of this angel. Whoever it is, he's powerful enough to oppose this angel and they get into kind of this battle, this stalemate for three weeks. Put it differently, whoever that prince of Persia is, he's powerful enough to oppose the will of God because it is God's will for Daniel's prayer to be answered. So he literally is standing in the way of Daniel's prayer, the answer to Daniel's prayer. And he holds up our angel for three weeks until Michael shows up we read Revelation, we read the book of Jude in the New Testament, we find out Michael is, a, is an angel. So it seems as if here, Daniel's using that term prince to refer to some sort of celestial being, an angel of some significant rank, okay? That would mean this prince of Persia is some sort of dark angel, okay? Some sort of figure who stands in opposition to the work of the kingdom of God. Now apply this in prayer. Prior to this, to, to, to this vision that Daniel has, okay, as best we can tell, he has no knowledge of this kind of spiritual warfare. He just knows that he's praying. He knows he's getting hungry. He knows he's praying. He's praying for what's going on in the promised land. But just beyond the scope of his vision, there's this spiritual struggle and what's at stake is the answer to Daniel's prayer. Here's how all this applies to our prayer lives, okay? There may be times when our disappointment in prayer has more to do with the forces of darkness thwarting God's answer to those prayers rather than simply God choosing to ignore them. There may be something you've been, you've been praying about. And, and, and you're struggling with it today. Maybe you wouldn't voice this to anybody, but you're struggling with it because you feel like, you know, Lord, I think you've heard me on this, but, but, you're, but you're struggling with a little bit of disappointment. And, and I, I don't pretend to know how all of this works. I'm, I'm not an expert on spiritual warfare. I'm just reading what's written here. And I'm left with the conclusion that there may be times where we, just like Daniel, are praying and praying about something. And God's right there saying, I affirm that. I want that prayer to be answered. But there's a team on the other sideline playing defense, keeping that answer 
from coming to us the way that the Lord wants it to. Is that possible that that could still happen today? Imagine you're Daniel on day five, and, and, and you've been praying, and you've been fasting, you've been talking to God about all these things, and, and you don't have any evidence that your prayers are working. Imagine you're Daniel on, on day 10, or day 20 of this. You've gone through all that fasting, you've gone through all that praying, yet as far as you can tell, nothing has changed, nothing has happened. Would you be feeling the slightest bit of disappointment? Three weeks of fasting and praying. Would you begin to feel like maybe God's not hearing your prayer? Would you, would you be dealing with a little bit of disappointment? I, I think even the most hopeful person in this room, after three weeks of this, would begin to think, God doesn't hear my prayer. But does Daniel have any ground to be disappointed with God? Does he have any reason at all to be disappointed with God? Remember, from the moment he started praying, the angel says, God heard your word and he sent me in response to this prayer. If Daniel experienced any disappointment in prayer, it was the result of this shadowy figure, prince of Persia, whoever that is, not because God wasn't listening, because God didn't want to send an answer to that prayer. And given that God saw fit to include this story in the Bible for us, I can't help but think that there might be times when the same thing is going on in our lives. I can't help but think that there might be times when we, like Daniel, are praying and praying for something and we haven't received the answer yet. And it's not that God isn't listening. It's not that God isn't even trying to answer that prayer. It's just that the forces of darkness are doing everything they can to thwart the will of God being done. I get so tired of people blaming God for things. I look at my own life. I've been guilty of that too. This a full reading of the scriptures, though, force us to acknowledge the reality of, of another team. And sometimes they get to play defense. I don't know how all this works, okay? I'm just, again, we're just talking about what we find here. Sometimes they call a few plays. Sometimes they get a few first downs. Sometimes they score, you know? And sometimes when we look at the scoreboard, we feel as if, boy, the people of God are just taking it in the teeth. Where are you, Lord? I just think I, we need to acknowledge the reality of evil forces in the world. So if we're dealing with disappointment in prayer, again, there may be times we need to check our motives. There may be times where those answers, though, are just being delayed by darkness. And then the final time here, sometimes in prayer, the most difficult thing to experience, I think, is simply when God says no. Simply when God says, what you're praying for, what you're asking for, does not align with my will, so the answer is no. And that's incredibly difficult for us. Here's the good news, when, you, when we experience God's no, we're at least in good company. <laughs> uh, the Apostle Paul, our friend, the, the church planner, the missionary, he experienced no in prayer. 
perhaps the most notable time. He talks about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. But repeatedly he asked God to remove that from him, and repeatedly the answer he got back had to do with the sufficiency of God's grace. And again, everyone who deals with God in prayer, we understand we're in this relationship where sometimes he says, yes, you never know when you're going to be Hezekiah, so you pray, right? But sometimes the answer is no, because what we're asking for does not align with his will. And so we learn the all-sufficient nature of the grace of God, even when we're told no, and that's good for us. But beyond the Apostle Paul, the best example that we have of this is the example of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus didn't always get everything he asked for in prayer. On that night before his arrest, we find Jesus praying. And let me just say, if you ever doubt the power of prayer, the, the most convincing thing I can say to you is this. You go back and you read the Gospels, and you look at how many times Jesus is, is praying, how many hours he spends praying in those final moments when it's all about to happen, he continues to pray. And he comes to his friends and he says, would, would you pray with me? And in Luke's account, in Luke 22, he says that he, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and this was his prayer. Father, if you are willing, would you take this cup from me? And that's a fascinating prayer in and of itself, because as a human being, Jesus is saying, is it possible for this cup to pass? I think the weight of this burden, the weight of all the sin in the world is beginning to crush Jesus. And he knows the plan, yet he still comes to God and he asks, is it possible for this cup to pass from me and he knows the answer he knows it's necessary right it doesn't change the fact that he's honest and coming to the father and asking for this and the answer of course to that is no no it's necessary for you to die it is it is necessary for you to win salvation is necessary for, for Jesus in order to win victory over those shadowy forces we were just talking about. But then again, it's, it's that last little statement that really changes everything with this prayer because that last statement he makes, not my will, not my will, but yours be done, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Jesus understands i think a little bit of that disappointment in prayer but when he prays this i think he's submitting his will to the will of the father this is the ultimate example of the prayer of humility i would say the most surefire way i know of to get everything we ask for in prayer to pray not my will but yours be done and that's a good way for us to measure our prayer lives we're looking for some sort of metric. I'm not as interested in frequency as I am content. And maybe a good way to measure our prayer lives is the degree to which we're willing to say, Lord, this is what I want. This is how I see it. But in the end, 
I'm going to defer to your will because I trust you. We're still looking for a breath prayer that we talked about last week. This is a good place to start. Not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. That's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of humbling oneself. And that's where we'll close this time together. I'd like for us to humbly come before God and ask for his blessings here as we close out this time of study. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, we bow here under the authority of your word. Father, I pray that you would measure our motives. We come to you in prayer, Lord. I pray that you would help us to acknowledge there's so much that we don't know and understand, so much beyond our line of sight in that spiritual realm. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would help us to follow the example of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would write this prayer on our hearts. Not my will, but yours be done. Father, in all things, may your will be done, even in this moment. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Today we close by extending the invitation of Christ. Today, if you need to humble yourself and put Christ on in baptism, have your sins washed away and begin that life of discipleship, following after Christ, please know the water is ready. We stand ready to receive you. If there are some other things on your heart that you want us to be praying about, you can share those with us publicly. You can share them with the shepherds of this church as they're positioned in the back of the room and even upstairs. If you need to respond, I hope you will. Let's stand together and let's sing.